Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. this morning. We're going to continue our series, Follow the Leader, the Teachings of Jesus. And uh, man, this is basically the manual for discipleship. That's really what it is. And so let's take our text, John chapter 8, verse 31, reading from the NIV. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or if you can look up on the screen if you weren't able to find it. But uh, uh, Romans 8, excuse me, Romans 8, 31, and everyone read, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Everybody read that again. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. The inference there is, if you don't, you aren't. So Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And then in Luke chapter 6, 40, in the NIV, it says, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Father, we thank you for your word today. We just ask you to bless it. We ask you to use it. And we do all of this in the name of Jesus. Help us to walk out of here changed. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. So we know the story. We've all connected with it. We all understand it in one way or another. We've seen it in, we've read it in the Bible. We've watched it in church passion plays. We've seen it on the movies. We've read it. We've studied it. We've heard messages on it. And all of this the idea of what Jesus did on the cross, what we just talked about in communion just a moment ago. We, we've all known about it, but I want to draw your particular attention to a, a portion of the story that I think might help us in understanding what Jesus was teaching when he taught us the Sermon on the Mount, especially what we're going to talk about today. The one We, we seem to only be able to get through one principle at a time for some reason so far, but I'm going to try to get through all of them today. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go over, I promise. I'm, I'm just going to try to get them done and be more succinct, but there's just so much good, rich stuff here. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you right now that uh, when we're going through the teachings of Jesus, it's challenging us and it should. And I think we need to take off our Western, Westernized glasses you know, that lens through which we see that's based on the socialization of living in the United States of America or living in the Western world. Jesus didn't write this from a Western perspective. He wrote it from an Eastern perspective. He was in the Middle East when he did all that he did. And so sometimes we think of the scripture based on our interpretation is based on what we see from our perspective, from our life and the way we've been socialized. But the truth is there's a lot of things that are different. For example, I've heard many people get up and say, Many pastors preach and say, when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, and they'll preach that. They'll say, turn the other cheek, but then they'll always make this caveat. They'll make this caveat. Well, and God doesn't expect you to be walked over. 
To see, that's the Western interpretation coming out. Because the person who said, turn the other cheek, was the person who was up on the cross dying when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So when he said, turn the other cheek, that's exactly what he meant. He meant, if someone does you wrong, don't fight back. Don't be ugly. Don't return evil for evil. Jesus said don't return evil for evil. Peter said don't return evil for evil. Paul said don't return evil for evil. As a matter of fact, they went as far as to say if someone does bad to you, turn around and actively do good to them. Oh, see, it's getting so quiet and hard to take in here, isn't it? Because we're taught, don't let somebody do that to you. You don't let somebody treat you like that. Matthew Barnett, a great man of God who has done many ministry efforts. He's got a thing called a Dream Center in Los Angeles. He actually started the Dream Centers, if you've ever heard of that. But it's just a, it's literally a, a, a center of ministry that goes on 24-7 in the middle of Los Angeles and just homeless and foster kids and and uh, uh, people with medical needs and people needing food and people needing to get out of addiction and all of this stuff. I mean, just ongoing, just unbelievable ministry. And he wrote a book, and one of the things he said in the book I really loved, he said, it's funny to me how so many Christians will say, I just want to be a bridge to Jesus. I want, I want to be a bridge to Jesus. I want people who don't know Jesus to get to Jesus, and I want to be the bridge they can cross over to get to him. But he said, it's so funny how we'll say, I want to be the bridge, but then get mad when people walk over us. Oh, see, some of y'all are getting it now. Oh, I get what he's saying. Listen, Jesus was serious when he said, knowing me should change the way you are. It should change your behavior. It should change the way you think. And one of those ways is because when we get saved, he changes us from the inside and begins this process of renewal that happens over the the whole course of our life. But the truth is, we also can see it by the model he gave us, which is, you know, what Hector was talking about with his son today. We were at camp and he got a phone call and his son said, his son said, Dad, are you still working for God? And he's like, yes, son, I'm still at, at camp working for God. And he, so he was going somewhere with his mom and his mom sent a picture, Celia sent a picture that, he was holding his Bible. He wanted to take his Bible with him on that trip because that's dad was working for God. Do you get it? See, we, we don't want to just learn by being taught. We want to learn by seeing. And, and when it comes to the next generation, when it comes to our families, when it comes to the people around us, this is why Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. This, this is why he said that. Because he's saying people should be able to look at your life and it should be a model for that's how my life could be. You know, life is not perfect and we all face difficult circumstances. And I find, this is the truth, I find that the most witnessing that ever comes out of my life is when I'm going through something hard and I choose God's way. And people are looking onto that and they're saying, why aren't you responding the way I would? Why aren't you doing the way I would? How come you're not feeling the way I would feel about this? It's because I know Jesus. Told a story uh, at camp in my message to the young people, and I'll tell it to you now. There was a there was a man who interpreted for me years ago uh, in Cambodia, and I was preaching. We had a crusade that was an awesome crusade, and there were over thirty thousand people that came to the crusade, ten thousand every night for three nights in a row, 
and we preached and we worshiped and we sang. And the guy that interpreted for me, he was he was a little older man. So when what I understood about him is is he he understood what really happened in the 1970s with Pol Pot when he came in and tried to wipe out the nation. And in literally a matter of less than a decade, over two million people were killed to try to give him total lordship over Cambodia so he could be this elite ruler and all the people of Cambodia would be peasants and serve him. And lots of mass killings and that, if you've ever seen the movie The Killing Fields, that's what it's all about. I've been there. I've seen The Killing Fields. I've seen the, 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 just the horror of it. And uh, so we were preaching that night in a, in a, in a place called Kempong Cham. And it was such a great night. We we're also very excited. And at the end of the night, we sat down and have dinner. And when we sat down and have dinner, I just asked him, I said, so what, tell me your story. How'd you come to Jesus? And, and he said something to me that I'll never forget. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, I'd been saved for a long time at this point. I'm the preacher preaching the crusade. But when he said this story to me, when he told me what happened in his life, it changed my life forever. Like it, there was a radical shift in my heart and in my spirit when it happened. And here's what he said. He said, I grew up, my dad was a general, and I'll, I'll make it quick. I'm not going to draw it out. But my dad was a general in the Cambodian army. He was a very pride man he was he would he was always wanted to be respectful I mean respected you never disrespected him in our culture he said the family is very important it's the most important and so when someone gave their life to Jesus and ceased to be a Buddhist and began to be a Christian it's like you get you get literally disowned from your entire family they kick you out you are done it doesn't matter your age you're done with them you're dead to them and that, that was the culture because they saw it as dishonoring to your ancestors. And that's how important that family dynamic is to them. So he said, I was a young man. I was involved in the gangs. I was involved in violence. I was involved in uh, drugs and alcohol. And he said, and by the way, my dad was an alcoholic as well. And he said... Um, I had gotten in a bad automobile accident, and he said, I had a lot of friends, and, and a lot of those friends came to see me when I was in the hospital. And he said, but at, the longer I had to stay in the hospital, the less and less friends came. But there was one friend that just kept coming back and just kept coming back. And he said, I didn't even really know him that well. He said, I just knew that um, he just kept coming back. So he kept coming back and kept coming back. And finally, I just asked him, I said, man, why do you keep coming back? No one else is coming back. He said, I was depressed. I wanted to kill myself. He said, I thought life was over. He said, no one else is coming back. Why do you keep coming back? And he said, man, because I love you. And he said, well, why do you love me? And he said, because I know Jesus. And Jesus has told me to just keep coming back and seeing you and loving you. And he said, so I said, man, that's silly. That's stupid. And I kicked him out of my room. And then he just next day came back. And the next day he came back. And the next day he came back. And he just kept coming back till finally I just broke down and, and, and said, man, if this is who Jesus is, I, I want to know Jesus. And so the young man leads him to the Lord and he becomes a Christian. Gives his whole life to Jesus. I mean, dedicates his life to God. He knows what it means for him. He knows what's going to happen. And he goes home and he decides, I have to tell my dad. So he said, I tell, he said, I told my dad, he said, I told my dad, I need, I need to, I need to 
I need to tell you that I, I have made a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm no longer a Buddhist. I just want you to know, in honor of you, I want to tell you and share that with you. And his dad became very angry, and he told him, this can't be. You cannot do this. We are all Buddhists. Your grandfather's a Buddhist. Your great-grandfather's a Buddhist. Your great-great-grandfather's a Buddhist. We're Buddhists. That's what we are. That's what you will be. You will not be a Christian. You will not and, and he just let it go at that. But the boy didn't give up his faith. He just kept following Jesus. And one night, it became, it became a known thing that he was a Christian around not only his dad and his family, but around the community. And, uh, and so one night, he came home, and he was eating at the dinner table with his mom and his sister. And his dad was with his friends back in a, in a room. And they were drinking and laughing and cutting up and, and getting drunk and and all of a sudden, a couple of his friends started teasing him, teasing his dad, and saying, oh, your son's a Christian. Your son follows Jesus. Your son's not a Buddhist. Everybody else is a, a Buddhist, but your son, you can't even control your own household. You can't get your own son to be a Buddhist. He's a Christian and making fun of Christianity. And, make, and the dad is drunk, and he gets so angry that he goes over to his gun rack, and he pulls a shotgun off, loads it, goes into the kitchen where his son's at, pumps it, puts it to his head, and says, either you renounce Jesus Christ right now or I'm going to kill you. Now, at that moment when I heard this, I was like, man, this sounds a little far-fetched. Like, did this really happen? And then he says, I said, Dad, and this is what changed my life forever. Now, listen. His dad said, you tell me there is no Jesus. You tell me that you're not a Christian. You tell me you renounce it right now. And he said, Dad, I cannot say I don't know someone who I know. He didn't say, Dad, but this is my choice for religion. Dad, this is my choice to follow. This is my belief system. He didn't say any of that. He said, I've met Jesus. He has changed my life. And I'm not going to say that he doesn't exist or that he isn't my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to do it. And his, his dad, I think at that point, pumped the gun. And he said, I didn't know what else to do except just to kind of push him out of the way and run, try to run out of the house. And then he turned around and showed me scars on the back of his head where as he was running, his dad was peppering him with that shotgun as he was running out the house, literally trying to kill him. So you know what he does? He, <laughs> he does something so crazy. Young people need to listen to this. He does something so crazy. In their culture, it was very important that you honor your parents. Always, always very important. It's also important in our culture. should be done more. But there it was very serious. And so he had certain, certain um, duties that he had to do, uh, what we would call, what, what we call those tasks or or chores. He had chores he had to do every day that he did for his family. Well, his dad kicked him out of the house. He literally said, you're, not, you're dead to me. You can't come back here. You don't belong to us. We don't, you don't live as far as we're concerned. Kicks him out of his house. He has to go find somebody that would care for him and keep him and, and let him stay with them. And he had a job and he had all these things he was doing and responsible for. Yet his dad just shoves him out. And tries to kill him. But he does something important. Before he goes to work every morning, he gets on his bicycle and he rides out to his house. It took him a long time, many miles. 
And he would go so early that it was still dark. And he would go out in the dark and he would do all of his chores. And he did it that way so that by the time his dad got out to do his chores, it would all be done. And he was gone. And so day after day after day, he does this. He just does, he goes out early, early, goes, does the, the chores he would normally do, and then he leaves. Day after day after day after day, he does this. Because this is what the Holy Spirit told him to do. This is what God told him to do. So he continues to do it. And his dad can't figure it out. He can't figure out what is happening. I get up and the chores are done and there's nobody here. And he realizes what's going on. So one day he got up really early and his son's coming down the road on his bike. And he said, I see him, I see him standing in the middle of the road down there. And I'm like, oh, oh man, about to be a confrontation. And so he said, I rode up to him and I stopped and I said, hello. And he said, hello back. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm doing my best to honor you. He said, son, listen, I would, I was going to kill you. I tried to kill you. I told you you didn't belong to my family. I said, you're no longer alive to us. You're dead to us. I kicked you out. I made you fend for yourself. I did everything bad I could think of to do to you. Why would you continue to come back and work and serve your family? Why would you do this? And he said, because I know Jesus. And Jesus told me to honor you and love you and do this. And as they begin to have this conversation, his dad's hard heart began to warm. And he, um, he fell down on his knees. And right there in that road of his home, he gave his life to Jesus. Now listen, not only did he give his life to Jesus, but his wife... Gave her life to Jesus. And not only did she give her life to Jesus, but the kids gave their life to Jesus. And now there are churches in that region and community that are led by that family. That dad, that mom, and those children who are now adults. And they're leading Christianity in that region having great move of God. Why? Because this young man understood that this is what God would have him to do. And no matter the sacrifice and no matter the commitment and no matter the issues, he knew that this is what he was supposed to do. And when he did it, when he acted on what God was telling him, when he acted on what he was supposed to do as a disciple, it changed his whole family. It changed his whole culture. They literally went against decades of belief, decades and centuries of ideology, and they submitted themselves to Jesus. Why? Because of one simple word, love. Now, see, that's real love. Love isn't this weird thing that we think it is today, this sensual, erotic, whatever. Or self-centered, selfish idea of making sure I'm getting love. But this idea of, I love you so much, I'll do whatever it takes to reach you kind of love. Are y'all with me this morning? Now, I understand that it's the last weekend of summer, or almost the last. It's the next to the last weekend of summer. And I know you've been summering it up. And you seem so tired this morning. And maybe it's because I'm tired, but you need to wake up, y'all. 
So everybody say amen. amen. All right. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is literally crying out to God. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind. I want you to get it in your head. This is what he was doing. He was literally in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying. He took two, three of his disciples with him. He said, hey, stay right here. I'm going to go over here and pray. I want you to be praying for me here. And he asked him to pray. So he goes over, and he starts praying in the garden. And here's what he's praying. God, this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. But if there's any other way that we can accomplish this, then let's do that. But if not, if there's not another way for us to accomplish this, then not my will, your will be done. So it's this model. He's modeling for us how we should live our life, that we don't choose our own way. Even if it requires sacrifice, even if it requires changing our lives, even if it requires doing something different, getting out of our comfort zone, being inconvenienced, as a disciple and as a submitted son of God, we say to God, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will. Are you with me? And we're learning as a disciple that what is important to us is that we know the will, way, and word of God. We don't want to just know the word, but we know the word, and then we want to know what the ways of God are as are expressed in his word, and we want to know what the will of God is. In other words, his purpose for us. And when you find this out and you really believe it, then you begin to act based on that. You begin to behave based on that. And so Jesus is sitting here, God, I love humanity. I want humanity to, to be saved, but this is going to be hard. But nevertheless, not my will your will be done. He goes over to the, bu the bunch that he loves and, and he's doing this for and they're asleep. And he's like, can y'all not just pray for one hour? Can you not just pray for one hour? The Bible said he was grieving or stressed out unto death. Like he felt like he was going to die. His physical man felt like he was going to die. He was that stressed out. And here he is praying like this and his disciples can't stay awake. Come on, y'all. I mean, that's horrible. You got some bad friends when you can't get your friends to pray with you for one hour. You need some new friends, especially when you're doing the hardest thing you've ever done in your whole life. And so he prays this over and over again, and finally they come and get him in the garden. And you know what happens. They say they're going to get him, and Jesus does this unbelievable dynamic thing where they say, he says, whom do you seek? And he says, they, see, they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And his, that word, when he said, I am, it was a direct reference to the I am that I am, Yahweh. In other words, he was saying, I am that I am, like God said to Moses in the burning bush. And when he said that, I don't know if you noticed this, but you need to read it. The Bible says that when he said that, everyone who stood there fell back on the ground. So Jesus literally said, I am he, and everyone fell down. Just the sheer power of his voice, the power of who he really was, just kind of leapt out for a moment and everybody just went down. And then they all got up and they came to arrest him. And then Peter, you know Peter, he's so excited. He grabbed a sword and he goes after the, the, the guy that's trying to attack Jesus. And of course he's a fisherman, not a swordsman, so he misses and just cuts off his ear. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt like when Jesus picked that ear up and put it back on a guy's head? He's like, what is happening right now? 
I'm trying to save you. And Jesus is like, you don't get it, Peter. And he makes a statement. Now, this is the statement that leads into what I'm about to teach you today. He says, do you not know that I could call legions of angels? In other words, Jesus was saying and letting it be known that if I wanted to, this could all be over. If I said, I don't think they're worth it, I could call legions of angels and they could destroy all of these people who are against me and it, it, wouldn't, it would, the snap of my finger, this would be over. And that's very important to what I want to teach you today. Because the next phrase I want to teach you out of the Sermon on the Mount is this. The meek shall inherit the earth. Now, when we think of the meek, we, we interpret it as another word. For some reason, and I don't know if it's because it rhymes or whatever the case may be, but when we think of meekness, we think of weakness. And nothing could be further from the truth. And a lot of men, when you talk about meekness, they don't like to talk about it because, you know, we're, we're strong and we're tough and we don't, we're not vulnerable and we don't give in to stuff like that. And we're just men, men. This is why people think we're <laughs> stupid. Anyway, uh, we're not stupid. Men are not stupid, everybody. Come on, somebody say amen. We act like it sometimes, but so do y'all. Um, but he says, listen, he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. So then we must understand what meekness is. We must understand what it really is. What does it mean to be meek? The Bible described two men in the Bible as being meek. One was Moses and the other was Jesus. And so I'm not looking at either one of those men going, those aren't strong men. I'm not thinking when they describe them as meek, they're not describing someone who's weak and someone who's not got a backbone or someone who's not strong or powerful. Because Jesus and Moses were both very powerful people. You know, I, I know sometimes people like to make it sound like Jesus was some kind of really weak, you know, individual and just always loving flowers. But that's not how Jesus was. Go Just go read about Jesus and you'll find out. He was a strong man. So then we have to understand what is meekness then and what is God trying to say to us when he's teaching his disciples sitting there on the mount and he's teaching his disciples and he's saying you need to be people who are meek because the meek will inherit the earth. And the inference here is not only will you have leadership in this time but you'll also in the new heaven and a new earth have leadership. The meek shall inherit the earth. And so we got to get our minds away from how we used to think about the Sermon on the Mount as if the Sermon on the Mount was just Jesus describing certain kinds of people and what, what they do and what the results of what they do are. No, he was talking specifically to his disciples and he's saying this is what a disciple looks like. The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek have an inheritance of leadership and rulership. Then what is meekness? Well, in order to understand what meekness is, you need to understand what the definition of meekness really is. Do you know what it really means, that word meekness? When you study it in the Greek, it, it really means to sheath your sword or to keep your sword in the sheath. Now think about that. He's saying you've got a sword. 
He's saying you're a swordsman. He's saying you've obviously can use the sword and you know how to use it. But he's saying by choice, put it away. And I think it's something we need to learn right now more than anything. I'm not saying we're not in a spiritual fight. Yes, we're in a spiritual fight. But we need to be, stop being so stirred up and fighting so much in, internally and having so much conflict and attacking people. We need to stop that because that's not the nature of God. It's not the heart of Jesus. And it's not what he told his disciples to be. We need to be meek. And so meekness means you restrain yourself. It's another word that we find in Galatians chapter 5 when Jesus talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, these are the things of the flesh. But then he says in verse, chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, meekness, temperance, faith, meekness, meekness, self-control. Being controlled. I know we've been taught for years and years, just wear your emotions on your sleeve. you got to get those emotions out because if you hold them in... You're going to explode. Well, the truth is there are certain things that you do need to get out. You do need to talk about. You do need to work through. But that is not to say that you should just live by your emotions. That you should just live constantly letting your emotions rule you. Jesus said that if we have the, so, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's in us through salvation, then there is fruit from that spirit. And one of those fruit is self-control. We're not always lashing out. We're not always out to get you. We're not always responding back. This week, I had something happen, and I'm not going to tell you what, but I had something happen to my kids, actually. And somebody, it appeared, it appeared like somebody wasn't doing my kids right. And how many of y'all know you can handle things that have to do with you, but when it has to do with your kids, something shifts on the inside. I don't know. It's like something does, somebody does something to your spouse. You're like, no, I can handle it if you do it to me. But if you do it to my spouse, something's going to go down up in here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's how you feel. And I don't know where that comes from. It's like the defense mechanism or like your, your survival mechanism. You got you to you know, you make sure and protect, protect. And so there was something that happened, and we thought that it was an intentional thing, and it wasn't intentional. And we didn't come to realize that until we stopped and sheathed our sword. Because right? I was like, man, that ain't right. We got to do something about this. And we got to take this on. And, and, and if I told you the details, you'd just laugh and laugh. But the truth is, so much of the time, our response is immediate to battle. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a disciple and follow me, you have to think differently than that. You have to think he, he goes on to teach later, and I'm, I will get there at some point, but he goes on to teach later. Look, if someone does evil to you, don't just not return evil to them, but find a way to actually do something good for them. Oh, man, I'm okay with don't turn evil for evil. I can do that. I can sit at home and just not respond. But do something good? Jesus, you're asking a lot. Y'all are just so quiet. Am I the only one that's like that? Am I the only one that has a little vengeance in my spirit? Little get back, little, little return, some evil for evil in there. Uh, anybody? Anybody? Shoot, let's just be honest. Some of y'all can't even do this with your spouse. Girl, don't you talk to me like that. 
Oh, well. You've only got one, one and a half minutes left of this, so you'll be all right. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I remember my first pastor, it was very hard, very difficult. I was young, and they did some really ugly things to me. And when I say ugly, if you've ever been in a church that's ugly, I hope you never experienced that, but there are some. And this one was a denominational church, and it was ugly. I mean, it was, they were just, there was a bunch of people who were controlling and mean-spirited and hateful, and, and we were young, and we were probably too young to be there, and, but they wanted us there because they thought we, because we were so young, they could just maneuver us and manipulate us and all of this kind of stuff. And me being a brash, you know, heavy-handed, over-the-top, young, zealous leader, it, was, it wasn't the right fit. And they went to town on me and wanted to get rid of me. Literally went to every household in the church, sat down with them, told them that I was a liar, that I was trying to lie to them and steal money, and I was against the church and all this stuff, just lies upon lies upon lies. And, and the Lord spoke to me and he said, he said, all right. Because um, I, I went to him and I said, hey, this is not, this is not God. This ain't right. This ain't right. They, they, how, how is this happening? You got to do something. And, 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 uh, and I'll tell you, it, it, it was so devastating. I went to the conference superintendent. That was the guy in charge. I went to the man in charge. And I said, help me, man. You put me in this church. You didn't tell me all this was going on. I'm 22 years old. What am I supposed to do about this? I don't know how to. Well, they're not going to have confidence in you if I come and fix it for you. I'm like, but that's it. That's the advice you got for me. Thank you so much. And so I'm thinking, what do I do? How do I handle this? And at first I go to war. I mean, you know, I was 22 and I'd only been saved for like five years. Come on. So that's a little saved. You know what I'm saying? Like I was getting there, but you know, come on. There were certain parts of me. They're like, mm, I might punch you out. Anyway, so I, I'm so mad and so angry and I start maneuvering in that spirit and that attitude. And, and it was becoming a big deal. And the Lord said, here's what I want you to do. I got in prayer one day and I said, I don't, I don't know how to fix this, God. That we're going to end up having to leave. It's going to be a mess. I came out of a really strong ministry. I was doing great things. You were using me, and now here I am in this mess. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send them all a card in the mail, and I want you to invite them over to your house with some very specific instructions. I said, invite them to come to your house, and this was all the board of the church. I said, invite them to come to your house. Say this. When you come into the house, don't knock. Just come in. Just take a seat in the living room, and no one talk. We're just going to receive communion together. And when we receive communion together, um, then you can get up and go after we receive communion. And that's what the Lord told me to do. So I invited them to, to come uh, over to the house and do this. And they came in, and they did, uh, for some reason, they did exactly what I asked them to do. They, it was just a, a God thing, you know. I mean, I totally expected them to not show up or, you know, show up and talk and, you know, just be disrespectful. But they didn't. They did exactly what I asked them to do. They came in the house. And they did it. Well, on their way there, it was already that late. The Lord spoke to me and he said, go read communion, the, the, Lord, the Last Supper in John. I want you to read the whole thing. I read the whole thing. He said, I want you to do the whole thing. 
And I said, well, what do you mean the whole thing? Communion's communion. He said, no. What did he do after he washed their feet? I want you to wash their feet. <laughs> I said, no. No, I'm not. I won't be washing anybody's feet. Do you not understand these people have literally lied about me out of whole cloth? Not just taking something that I may have done a little wrong and embellishing on it. No, they are making up stuff and going around telling people that I did this and I did that. And, and I just, you know, God, you're expecting me to wash their feet. He said, I washed Judah's feet. Man, don't you hate it when God one-ups you? It just is so aggravating. I'm like, oh, but I don't want to do it. And he said, I'm telling you, if you do this, it'll solve it. I promise you, if you do this, it'll solve it. Now, you have to understand, these people were, it was horrible. They were living in the depths of sin. They weren't just being ugly to me. They were living. It was a mess up situation that no one held them accountable for. No one called them out and made them stop. It was just a bad situation. And I said, okay. So they come in and they sit down. And I, I pull a basin of water out, throw a towel over my shoulder. And I said, would you guys just please take your shoes off? And they all took the shoes off. And they didn't want to do it. But for some reason, they did. And I just started taking that towel out, holding their feet, which is gross. Yes, it is. But holding their feet, taking a towel, and wa washing their feet. And when I did this, I started praying, God, bless her family. God help their kids. I knew all their kids. I knew what they were going through. I knew their struggles. I was, God, help them to overcome this. God, help them to have that. God, I know this person's got a job situation that's very difficult. God, I pray that you'll break through on their situation. I pray that, God, you'll help them in this irreconcilable situation in their family. God, I pray that you'll bring grace that I was weeping. And then all of a sudden, I, I was so present in the moment that I wasn't paying attention to what was going on. And all of a sudden, I heard it weeping every person there was broken into pieces spiritually they were weeping 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 and there was such power in that moment of forgiveness in that moment of actively doing something good actively sheathing my sword like I've got this sword and we can go to battle but I'm going to put it up. I've got the strength to overcome you. I'm going to put it up though. I've got the wherewithal to make this hurt, but I'm going to put it up. I could call legions of angels, but I'm going to hang on the tree. Oh, this is hard, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. This is hard, but there's such power in it. And when that was over, each one of them quietly stood up and they left the, church, they left the house. Every one of them resigned and left the church and said, I'm sorry that I caused such problems. 
it was resolved. Now, I didn't really want them to leave the church. I didn't really want them to resign. I wanted to work through it. But God said, if they're attacking you, if you will return good, then the ultimate goal of what I want to do in this church will happen. And you know what? That church turned around and people started getting saved and filled with the Spirit and power of God. There were miracles. People started getting literally healed. There was a man with uh, just not... Many weeks later, there was a man with osteoarthritis. He was going in for surgery the next day. And literally, God healed him completely, 100% in that meeting. Why? Because, Because instead of fighting, instead of pulling out my sword and saying, I will not allow you. Instead of going to every household and saying, they're liars and they're hateful and they're mean spirited. And all that was true. I would have been within my rights to do so. But you know, when we become a disciple, yes, we have rights as citizens. But on the other hand, we're saying to God, I'm giving my rights over to you. I am your slave. I am your bondservant. And I will live my life in such a way that it's going to shine your grace and your goodness to other people. We want God to show us grace. We want him to show us mercy. We want him to show us goodness. But are we willing? Are we willing to actively do good, to actively sheathe our sword, to actively put the fight down? And here's why. You say, but it's not right, Pastor David. Because I know what's going through your mind right now. I know the culture's going through your mind. I know how you feel about things, and it needs to change. And I know all that, and it's going through. But it's not right for people to be able to do that. And sometimes we want recourse, not because it's the right thing, but because it makes us feel better. It's not right. How do we? Here's the reason. Because when we decide to sheathe the sword, what we're saying is, God, I trust you. I'm not going to fight because I know this. If I don't fight and I put my trust in you, you're going to fight. The Bible says when someone does evil to you, don't return evil for evil, but return good for evil. And if when you do it, it's as if you are heaping coals of fire up on their head. In other words, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. When someone is unjust to you, you let God deal out justice. You let God deal out judgment. And the only way for that to happen is for you to sheathe your sword. That's it. Boy, that's hard. Everybody say that's hard. But this week we're going to work on it, aren't we? Oh, and here's the truth. Stand with me. Here's the truth. (laughs) Here's the truth right here. You ready for the truth? You're going to have opportunity this week. Because here's what I know about God. When God gives you a revelation of something or a teaching on something, He puts it into practice. And so He's going to expect us to put this into practice. Now, I'm not expecting you to be jumping up and down about this. Matter of fact, any of these teachings of Jesus, you probably... Listen, I want to say something. Most, Jesus would not be invited to most churches today to preach. I heard somebody say the other day, and I believe with all my heart, if if Jesus preached what most pastors are preaching in today's world, he'd never been crucified. 
And we all want to treat Jesus like, oh, he was a good teacher. He was a nice guy. He was a lo-. No, everything he said was counter to the culture. Everything he said was challenging. It's cha- that's challenging to me. So I'm not expecting us to be going, yay, God, this is awesome. I just can't wait to have an opportunity to sheathe my sword. Because most of the time we're like, I just had it. I wish I had it. We're like this. We're like the gunfighter. We're like, we're pulling back our coat and hoping, God, give me an opportunity to pull this thing out. Right? No. Meek. Submitting to God's will, and you'll receive God's promises fulfilled in your life because you choose to surrender your power to Him. Meek is not weak. It is power held in reserve. And God says it's people like that that get to lead. It's people like that that get opportunities. It's people like that that will inherit the earth. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church Podcast.